Please support the Climate Change and Happiness podcast. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com. The climate is changing at an accelerating pace. Thousands of residents and tourists have been evacuated from the region. No one country can solve this problem. There's really one key message that emerges from this report. We are out of time. Welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, an international podcast that explores the personal side of climate change, your feelings, what the crisis means to you, and how to cope and thrive. And now, your hosts, Thomas Doherty and Panu Pikala. Well, hello, I am Thomas Doherty. And I am Panu Pikala. And welcome to Climate Change and Happiness, our podcast. This is a show for people around the globe who are thinking and feeling deeply about the personal side of climate change. We focus a lot on our emotional responses to this issue and our feelings and um, all the many things that are connected to this in the world. And one of the things, one of the beautiful things that's connected to our feelings about nature and the environment and our environmental identity um, uh, is another class of beings that we share the planet with trees trees and today our episode is about trees in many and we're going to go in many directions with this but both pano and i both know a lot about the research about trees and human health and human identity and mental health and of course i'm in the pacific northwest which has its own unique cultural associations with the big trees of north america and panu is in finland which of course has its own association with the northern forests and trees uh, and you all have your own associations with trees of various kinds, including trees you know personally. So that's where we're going today. And this episode will touch on many other things that we've talked about over the last year. Um, Anu, do you want to get us started off on this really rich topic? Yes. Greetings from the lands of three people, mm -hmm. because the Fenno-Agrian people of whom the Finns are one part and Estonians and Hungarians and then several smaller tribes in current Russian area. They are known for the importance of trees for their whole world view and mm -hmm. ancient religion. And in, in Finland, the relationship with trees is both profound and complex mm -hmm. because also the, it's a ma major national industry thing. Well, things one does with, with the trees, but then also very locally in various places, towns and cities, there are these important trees and sometimes also conflicts about what to do, do with them. And I know, Thomas, that you've had a sort of profound experience related to this. So would you like to share a bit about that? Yeah, thanks, Panu. Um, so many incredible directions to go with this, um, with this topic. Um, yeah. And I'm unfortunately going to start out with a sad story, uh, that really is close to home, um, to get us going. It doesn't limit our discussion today, but it is a sad story to start. So listeners can be prepared for that. But anyway, where I live in Portland, city of Portland and state of Oregon in the U S you know, in, in my neighborhood is what's, what's called, um, Northeast Portland. You know, it's a residential neighborhood, but there used to be a big, you know, primeval forest here. 
sometimes there are conflicts between large trees and landowners and debates about how, whether to save trees or not. And we ha- we lost a, a huge tree here in the neighborhood. And it was a long story. And I'm just going to read a paragraph that gives a summary of this that I shared with, with people here last December, December uh, 2022. And it, it'll, it'll just give you a sense of the complexity of this issue. So I'll just, I'll just read what I wrote because it captured my thoughts and feelings on that morning, December 6th, uh, 2022. You know, I wrote... Um, I watched a hundred foot tall giant sequoia tree being cut down and removed in my neighborhood today, just a a block from my home. The tree had grown up close between two residential houses and undermined one of the house's foundations, leaving the house derelict. The other homeowners, a couple, waged a long battle to save the tree. They garnered international support through a petition and a GoFundMe drive. Tragically, just as they found a developer to take on the properties and guarantee keeping this tree. Some unknown person drilled into the tree and poisoned it, mortally wounding the tree and sabotaging the deal. Over the past year, the tree's canopy has browned and died off. The couple was so demoralized they moved from the state. This tree was about 100 years old, and sequoias can live for thousands of years. The industrial-scale removal of the tree that morning was remarkably efficient. Huge pieces of the trunk lowered down by crane and many of the limbs, even the large ones, immediately fed into a wood chipper. There was no neighborhood notice, and, and through the day, people stopped to watch and take pictures. I contacted some local news agencies as they previously covered the story, but none arrived as far as I know. It was very hard to concentrate or get any work done that day. Such a real-world example of disenfranchised loss and grief. I had offered my supporting coping tips to the folks that were trying to save the tree and had known them over the year and had donated to their cause. But like others, I'm sure I have a question about whether I could have done more. I share this as a way to bear witness and move against the isolation these events breed. And because I know many of you will understand. That's my, that's my story of the sequoia and, uh, and an example that came home to me personally. And just how a bizarre and absurd it seemed that I do this environmental work and I was powerless to to really do anything about you know to do more with this tree and then the bystander syndrome that happens and then um just watching the tree literally from my front porch I can see the canopy and seeing it browning and just worrying and then when I noticed the big crane trucks that morning I knew that the end had come so anyway I share that just to just to give listeners a sense of um how this manifests and i i know i know listeners have similar stories to this that's the whole point of our our episode that we think of trees um you know philosophically and intellectually forests and for you know forests being the lungs of the earth but we also know individual trees and places that become part of our environmental identity part, part of our relationships our lifeline um so that's this topic. It goes. It gets really personal, and that's normal, mm-hmm. very normal for people for it to be personal. Mm-hmm. So, what what's coming up for you, Pani? As I describe this, I know you've you've got a lot of different ways that you might think about this as a philosopher and as a as a researcher and as a Finn. Yes, thanks, Thomas, for sharing that. And of course, it evokes sadness and com- compassion. It's got to do with emotional attachments and values and partly I think with world views also and I'm a a person who is very fond of trees myself so I can resonate with some examples in personal history also 
uh, in the neighborhood where I'm living in eastern Helsinki, there's an old manor and some of the trees nearby are from that period. So one very conspicuous one uh, is a is a poplar, which is not a native tree in Finland, at least not for a long time. Uh, when there was a warmer period in climate history, then, then there might have been some, at least there were more, more oaks during that time. But anyway, so I also remember the, the day when I saw that people are starting to do some something with it. So there's the sort of shock element in it. There's lots of elements of a grief process uh, and uh, the dynamics of whether the loss is recognized by others and mm-hmm. whether you have been able to prepare for it. There's this possibility for feelings of helplessness and powerlessness, which you also also described. There's the dynamics around responsibility and a sort of negotiation between possible guilt, which then again is a common feature in all kinds of loss and grief process processes. It's very human to ask that, could I have done something to prevent this, or could I have done something, something more? And that's again very close to what I've been doing in my research work lately, when I, where I've been looking at the intersections of grief and bereavement theory mm. with ecological emotions. So this touches on many of those things. So I can resonate with this both on a personal level and as a, as a res- researcher. And I know, Thomas, that you've been thinking about these emotional attachments that people have with trees also. So would you, would you like to say something more about how you, how you see that one? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's important to, you know, to breathe through this topic. We started out with a really troubling narrative about the, the loss of the sequoia tree, which is very sad and it could bring tears to your eyes to tell these stories. And I've, I've heard many people share similar narratives that were really influential on their life uh, all around the world. Uh, I've heard, I've heard these stories. We can also just come back and orient our, ourselves in a positive way about this. I mean, obviously, our grief and connections with the uh, with trees are not officially recognized in economics and in science and in law. So when we lose these trees, we we don't have a place to to our grief is not recognized officially. That's what that term disenfranchised grief means, right? So it's like we lose it, and it's it's it breeds that isolation that that often happens, and then we have to band together almost in a revolutionary way to share our grief, but. There's a famous chapter in conservation psychology by by the researcher, uh, the late researcher Robert Summer, uh, Trees and Human Identity, and he, and he just does such a great job describing how all the many many ways that trees are inf- you know influence our human identity across the lifespan from uh, being children to being elders, and um, you know understanding how trees, our relationship with trees influences our physical health and our mental health. And our identity and all the metaphors that come from trees, the roots of the trees, the branch of the trees, the world, the world tree, you know, it's, it's woven into religion and philosophy and art, you know, evolutionary theory looks at, looks at how, you know, humans are related, you know, to trees. I mean, our hand is shaped the way it is. The human hand is shaped the way it is because it evolved to climb. And, and you know, so when you grab a branch on a tree and it feels really natural to hold on to, that's that's not an accident. That that's why our hand is made that way. Uh, and when we feel good in in the trees or in a in a place where we can look from trees, that's that's woven into our 
into our psyches and our minds and bodies in a very deep way. And so these, like we talk about different words, like, you know, uh, I think it's komarebi uh, in Japanese, you know, the idea of the light filtering through the leaves, dappling through the trees. So there's different words and different languages that capture trees. And of course we have traditions like uh, forest bathing, you know, uh, in, in Asian countries where people bathe in the, bathe in the forest and the smells of the forest and the feels of the forest and the idea of forest therapy, which is a term that would be used in Finland, not so much in the U S we talk about wilderness therapy or outdoor therapy, but in, in other countries in Europe, it'd be called forest therapy, you know, and the idea of healing, healing in the forest. So there's a, there's a ton of positive things. And I guarantee every one of us, everyone listening uh, when we look at our environmental identity timeline and all the experiences that we've had over our lives regarding nature and the natural world, there are trees involved there. People know what it's like to climb trees as a child and to play play in trees and people cultivate trees in their homes and they visit trees. They make journeys to see the redwoods in California and, and to see the old trees around the world. Um, so there's just so much positive stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, totally resonating with that also. And I think it's very important to give children the opportunity to climb trees if only they are up to it in any 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 way. And that's a classic theme in environmental education also nowadays mm-hmm. because this culture around security is, is some has good sides but also bad sides and one of the bad sides is that some people think that children shouldn't climb trees anymore because they may fall from them mm-hmm. and there was one study in, in Britain a while ago where they look at statistics and found out that much more children uh, went to the hospital because they had fallen out of their beds <laughs> than from tree, <laughs> trees yeah, so exactly. that testifies you know you know home home is a very dangerous place if you put it this way mm-hmm. and look at the accidents but yeah hopefully um, as many people as possible have a safe home but you know this statistical point but uh, and even in research on climate emotions people may start talking about close affinities with trees and that sort of testifies to this interconnections between topics and and for me uh, about the great both physical and psychological and symbolic significance of trees for people and i was very very glad to read the, read the article thomas mentioned it's a great overview of these many many co- connections that people may may have but but there's a link now even between climate issues and this topic and of course uh, if we look at the larger developments, then global warming is changing trees and forests. And for example, in Finland, we've had geographical lines, you know, the most northern places where certain tree species grow. We are very high in the north, actually, and it's just the Gulf Stream coming from Atlantic, which gives us enough warmth that we can do much more farming than in Alaska, even though we are mm. quite close close as far in the north so the tree species are moving more north in finland and mm. that's causing ecosystem change so so there's you know changes and possible feelings of loss both in relation to single trees and to large-scale changes in forests and of course there may be positive developments also having more of nice trees through which to experience Komorebi that's also becoming more possible in Finland but mm-hmm. uh, then 
lots of ecosystem changes have have much uh, threatening aspects also like spread of certain insects and so on yeah i mean again this is an ecological topic as we talk about when you pick on one thing in the universe you find it hitched to everything else and when you pick on the leaf of one tree uh one branch you know one twig you find it hitched to ev- so many things climate change tree cover in neighborhoods it's you know when we talk about our environmental identity, it's intersectional with all kinds of other forms of identity and with social justice. That's one direction here that to go. I mean, climate change is making it really warm, particularly in urban areas, particularly in poor, marginalized neighborhoods. So the idea of people are much more aware now of the idea of the urban heat effect with heat waves and and how dire it can be in neighborhoods that are denuded of trees. So trees are becoming a social justice issue for neighborhoods it's a marker of privilege uh to have trees even in, in, in very very obvious in in my city uh in my neighborhood is traditionally a lower income neighborhood and so these these trees like that sequoia are very rare um whereas if you go just just a quarter of a mile uh, south to you know another neighborhood that's more privileged there's just huge beautiful trees maple trees line the avenues is very shady so it's it's an absolute mark of of social cultural privilege and social justice trees. Obviously, um, the rich long tradition of forest protectors, people trying to save and protect the trees around the world, uh, in all areas, in all countries, in all nations, beginning with you know indigenous people that are still innately in, involved with trees and in the forest. Here in the U.S., obviously, this this brings us up to the recent issue in Atlanta with the Atlanta Public Training Facility and the shooting of um, Manuel uh, Terran Tortuguita, the uh, act, environmental activist and forest protector who was shot by the Georgia State Patrol and, and the, the controversy around that. Um, so that's a great example where climate change is turning up the volume on this, turning up the temperature, you could say, uh, where... These, these, this, the, that forest uh, in Atlanta is being seen not just as a as a forest to protect, but also a part of history, a part of the local history with racism and slavery and policing, and of course, urban heat and um, mm. uh, you know a tr- traditionally black neighborhood and trying to protect th- that forest. So it, it 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 falls into line with all of these other big issues. There's a, a logic of um, appropriateness now, where it's like it's not a, it's not appropriate to 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 do these things. People won't stand for it, you know. And so these projects that would have been pushed through in the past, people are standing against them for a number of reasons. So this gets into literature with uh, books like The Overstory, as as you know. Okay. Um, and then uh, you, I know your favorite and mine. Um, J.R.R. Tolkien has interesting traditions regarding trees. You want to say a little bit about your Tolkien connection? Yes, yes, I'd love to. I'm, I'll come back to that a bit bit later, mm-hmm. but just staying with the intersectional dimension for for a while. So that really seems global, as, as you say, and so many things converge, both, you know, trying to keep the rainforests also for climate and carbon reasons, then there's the biodiversity dimension, 
maybe the social justice dimensions in many places, as you as you mentioned. There's some very famous cases in Europe also about trying very courageously to protect uh, old growth forests. There's very little of them left left in Europe. So, for example, in Finland, if you look at aerial pictures, you see a lot of green, but we don't have much old growth forests any, anymore. Most of them have been uh, cut down at least once and with biodiversity in, impacts. But there's great people protecting and trying to protect those those forests and and there's many many very inspiring cases of of that in in literature uh, tolkien who is one of the world's most famous writers i think uh, not the least because of the many movies by peter jackson and colleagues in the two, 2000s so so he was a person who was very fond of fond of trees and one of the great places to check this out if somebody is interested is the book letters of of tolkien mm. uh, meticulously edited by his uh, an editor and also with the help of his, his his son and there he is writing sometimes quite directly how he he wanted also to create fiction where at least once the trees could stand up for themselves. Mm-hmm. So that's why one dimension in this Lord of the Rings mythology. But of course, there's a lot more than that to Tolkien's relationship with, with, with trees and various kinds, kinds of them. Yeah. 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 His, his, um, many people are associated, uh, are aware, um, have emotional connection with the, the ants, the species of beings in the, in Middle Earth, that uh, they kind of resemble trees. They're like moving, walking trees, and um, the word "ant" comes from old old English word for giant. So trees often have this this sense of giantness. I mean, there's so many fascinating directions to go to go with this. Um, one of my early books that I read years ago, "Landscape and Memory" by the historian Simon Shama, it was an environmental history book. Um, talked about the um, sacred groves of, of Northern Europe and the, and the Celts and how um, churches, you know, were essentially groves and the, even the great cathedrals, like the Gothic cathedrals like Notre Dame and Chartres Cathedral were, were actually evoke, meant to evoke tall overarching trees, um, which I never realized. And so in terms of my environmental identity as someone from Northern European cultures, it was really helpful for me to see that connection between trees and religion um, woven into the, the ancient cultures there. And even just see the, the environmental justice issues going far back to the one of the strategies the Romans had when they were overtaking countries, the Celtic countries, was to, was to cut down the sacred groves of trees, you know, to take over power, you know, from the people. So that same story, of course, played out in North America, you know, in terms of, you know, uh, colonizers taking over people's places. So it's a very fraught issue because I know in the Pacific Northwest, many people, um, families traditionally, as you know, in Finland as well, their families grow up working in the forestry industry and the forest products industry, and it's a huge part of the economy. Uh, in these places and all of the Pacific Northwest, every town essentially began as a logging town. Everyone, everyone, mm. it always goes back. The, the main street, Burnside in Portland, 
used to be the skid road where they would slide the logs down from the hills down to the ships, right? So it's woven into our culture here. And so it's it's another form of disenfranchised grief because we haven't balanced out the need for trees and the need for people's ability to have a livelihood and the loss and grief. So it's a real, it's kind of a tragic situation that we're still trying to, to muddle through. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, it can be very, very tricky. And some folks in Finland, Finland like the photography artists Ritva Kovalainen and Sanni Seppo have done great things in doing books where they have not only included photos of different forests, but also stories of people who relate to the forest in different ways. So there are uh, nature protectors, but also different kinds of forest o- owners and to, to bring out the scope and scale of forest re- relations. And that doesn't, of course, remove all the tensions, but that's one one way forward to try to understand a bit more about the various perspectives that people have. That being said, uh, these people have also been very important proponents of an uh, of making forest grief or whatever one wants to call it uh, as a publicly recognized thing. And I've also sometimes used my public voice for the same same purpose. Uh, and even in those cases when the, where the democratic decision then would be to cut down the tree or the forest, then even then the, the grief and losses should be recognized. Mm-hmm. And this is a tricky, tricky, tricky subject also because uh, one can easily see a possibility for misusing this, you know, uh, providing therapeutic services to people so that they don't stand up so much for, for the trees that we are going to lose. But I, I believe that there might be some balances found so that defending moral standing could be combined with also necessarily sometimes then facing the grief together. Yeah, you um, we'll have several really interesting links in this uh, podcast to different stories and films. There's so many to name these trees, Sequoia, Redwood, the Wollomi Pine in Australia, the Boabab in Madagascar, the, the Oaks of Ireland, you know, the Doherty clan, my last name, you know, one origin of the name comes from the oak uh, in Derry there, uh, which is the name, you know, oh, that was oak in, in Celtic language there. Um, so um, if listeners have examples of these rituals, please let us know. I, I really do think it should just be part of our culture to have some rituals. I know native, native people, indigenous people understand this and do have rituals that are intact for, you know, from millennia thousands of years, but we need modern rituals because we do need to cut down trees. That sequoia that I mentioned early on wasn't a tough spot. Someone could argue that it was dangerous in that position and it could fall and injure people in a storm. Trees do fall. Ice storms and recent climate change uh, weather patterns have changed what trees are used to experiencing. And so we are getting extreme loss of trees for various reasons, because of temperature, because of invasive species, because of ice storms and storms. So we are going to lose trees and it can be dangerous. Um, But it's that our building codes and our urban laws don't recognize primal realities for people's connections with nature. That's the problem. So 
it isn't that we won't cut down trees ever. Um, I don't think that's what trees wants. Trees are, we can live in connection with trees and using trees and helping them, helping us to live. It's just really a question of having more of a reality about this that honors our emotional life. Um, so if people have thoughts about this, please let us know. We've got another, a nice, nice trend coming with our episodes here. We have an episode coming up regarding wolves. Uh, we have episodes around children and nature coming up. So there's a lot of mixed, nuanced feelings here. So making room for the sadness and the loss, but also the joy, exhilaration. I can remember even now as a child, the exhilaration of really climbing a tree, really tall, mm. really getting up there, farther out of your comfort zone, <laughs> way up in a tall tree, building a tree house for my daughter, which I never had as a child. So of course I built her a tree house and we spent a lot of time with that and um have have had images of building another tree house very tall in a tree that i have near my house and i haven't been able to have the time to finish it but um there's something so beautiful and primal about being in the trees so yeah we're almost time to wrap up here pony but it's a i don't know i'm really glad we were able to finally get to this topic it makes me feel good uh to be able to talk about you want to lead us out with some any other any other ideas for our for your evening and my day here? Yeah, it's been great to talk about trees and all the importance they they have, and we'll share some links to some research also about collective action on the behalf of trees, but also collectively lamenting or mourning mourning trees. So there's many many sides to this, but perhaps to bring us to close, I'd like to quote. John Muir, hmm. who is of course a famous tree love, loving loving person, and in in one of one of his books, he tells of climbing a very short tree in quite stormy, windy weather, and then uh, sort of wavering there in the wind to get mm-hmm. over the top of the tree, and he has this quote: "We all travel the Milky Way together, trees and men." But it never occurred to me until this storm day, while swinging in the wind, that trees are travelers in the ordinary sense. They make many journeys, not extensive ones, it is true, but our own little journeys away and back again are only little more than three wavings, many of them not so much. So this from John Muir in the beginning of the 20th century or the late, late, late 90s, and referring, of course, to all all human beings, not just men. Yeah, beautiful. Um, just uh, just reminds me of the, the research on people climbing the great uh, redwood trees, Hyperion, the great the great redwood tree in California, and swaying in the branches there. So listeners can really think about this. One of the quotes that uh, I saw in my reading was from a uh, an organizer that said, "You know, we're not sure if we." organize communities to plant trees or plant trees to organize communities mm-hmm. right so it's it's woven in together here so think about how trees play into your lives and let us know what this all means for you and know that you're not alone in your feelings about trees there are many 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 of us around the world that really love trees and and uh, feel nothing wrong with hugging a tree and breathing into the tree and really feeling with that being so and the trees are on the move, as you as you know, as Panu says, they are migrating slowly, 
Anyway, this is Climate Change and Happiness. You can find us at climatechangeandhappiness.com. See all these episodes and show notes and various things that you can't find on your podcast um, platform. Uh, and uh, you can uh, also support us at um, our Patreon and at climatechangeandhappiness.com. And we really do need some support to keep going and making these episodes. So thank you very much. And everyone be well. Take care. The Climate Change and Happiness podcast is a self-funded volunteer effort. Please support us so we can keep bringing you messages of coping and thriving. See the donate page at climatechangeandhappiness.com.